This is Rugger Matrix America. Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix America, episode 31, The Passing Game. I'm your host, Juro Sen, joined shortly by Bruce McClay. Alex Goff, too, from RugbyMag.com, also joins us for a fiery episode, and we cover a lot. Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix America, episode 31. I'm joined by Bruce McLean from New York City. What's up, Bronk? How you doing, my friend? All happening. Uh, I've just finished a Q&A with Will Guinea, the Wallabies halfback for the uh, match program this weekend, and he is a terrific fella, great background. And it's made for a good read. Well, I'll tell you, Bronk, it, it's, he's got to be pretty happy after this week's game. Coming off, getting a, a last-second victory off of, the, off of the boot of the Joey's man, Curtly Beal, and the North's man. And we'll see what, uh, what happens this week. Can they beat the black jersey with the silver fern? It's actually funny. Because one of our guys at practice this week was saying that started yipping at a guy. And I said, uh, you know, after practice, I said, hey, nobody in our team yips at other players and comments on what other players do unless you think you're going to come here and, and, you, and you're wearing a black jersey with a silver fern. And they're like, what do you mean, like the Oakland Raiders or this? They had absolutely no idea what a black jersey and a silver fern was. <laughs> not even a clue. Not, 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 the, not a clue in the slightest. So uh, it was actually pretty funny. But that being said, maybe it was funnier to me than anyone else. You had to be so, there. So, um, <laughs> I think you had to, it was one of those jokes you had to be there. You had to be yeah, there. But pretty, I think uh, anyone, it's like, it's like anyone listening seven, to this. you got to be there. you got to be there. Just like if anyone to... listening to this show, uh, you would absolutely know who they are. And uh, and the man who would certainly know that is, of course, Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. Good day, well, Alex. tell me. I'm supposed to know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, you know, uh, um, Bruce, it's, it's, it's great to, you know, when, when you're at training and, and you actually hear the, the little bit of a banter going on between all the different uh, players from all the different walks of life, which... Which I think is really fun, but it it is also a bit sobering when you start talking about things like uh, the Springboks or the Wallabies, and some young players just look at you and sort of blink a couple of times and say, "What are you talking about?" And uh, just I, I don't know about you, it makes me feel old. We're talking young rugby players. Yeah, you know, well, the, the, the young American rugby players they don't nece- they aren't necessarily steeped in the in the tradition of it all, and and. Most of the most of the guys that are more my age, um, and I'm 43, uh, grew up getting rugby wherever we could, and of course you 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 grab onto the international coverage as much as you can. And I I don't know with the really young guys whether they necessarily do that in the same way. It's strange because uh, if you ask any kid in uh, any country playing basketball, they certainly know who every player in the NBA is from another country. I mean. Yeah, that's that's no. You're absolutely right, and I guess that's the uh, we're still struggling in the United States to get rugby on the television in a in a in a consistent 
way that everybody can see it. Some people get some stuff, some other people don't. You know, you you go online, you can watch some stuff online too. But I, I don't know if we have quite have the same tradition or the or the marketing heft that the NBA has for that matter in getting the getting those players known. The NBA is a disaster. Uh, who even wants to watch that crap? I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, this is just as as much as you have to respect the players and you got to respect some of the stuff. Um, if bask if there was not another basketball game ever, I wouldn't care. When, when it basketball... doesn't matter what you think, mate. The thing is, it's the elite sport. It's the elite version of that game. So. I think the issue is here, why aren't American kids aware, or, or not every American kid aware, of the elite part of the game around the world? Well, when I was, in, when I was, um, when I was young and I started playing, we used to, e- even into the, into the late 80s, the only game that we could get was the 73 Barbarians All Blacks game. And if, if, you, if you had somebody really screwy, you might be able to get a copy of the of the um the Cavaliers tour that the the kind of that that renegade tour to South Africa that the that the New Zealanders took but yeah I mean no it, it it's it's just a different world it's no it should and, be easier <laughs> it should be, it's 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 it is easy it, it it is easier but the fact of the matter is that and it was it was you know it's was, it was, it's actually funny cuz I was looking at the uh, on YouTube uh, Wallaby back play from 1999 to 2001, and it was just you know a six minute video, and it was pretty cool. And then I was watching a I was watching a, a a South Africa versus Australia game with this guy James James Aldridge, who played football for Notre Dame, and he was watching the game. He was like, "Yeah, this is really good." I said. Just watch the game. I said, you can kind of see what's happening. You know, everybody thinks about teaching people how to pass and all these things and teaching people how to do things. That The only people who throw passes in rugby union games are the scrum half and the fly half, essentially, unless the ball gets kicked in and then the guy might throw. You laugh. If you yeah, look I will at because game, it's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. You know, well, then look at the stats and look at the game. Then what, what will happen? <laughs> because is you'll mate, see... it, is when you're called upon to throw a pass and you can't do it in the clutch play, then that's when you fall into a heap. I know that's a, that's and... a, it's a ridiculous sweeping statement. I know Bruce. it's a totally ridiculous statement. Yes, but however, when you watch the games, <laughs> oh, I do and watch the games, actually... mate. <laughs> I know, and, and so do I. And so what happens when you watch the games really not. is that you'll see that eighty percent of the passes are thrown by two guys, and that means you'll no, see just that because it's eighty percent means nothing. Well, you'll you know, see I, that. I, I, you'll Bruce, see that. You're... And this is what I showed this guy. I showed this guy from Notre Dame. I said, just watch it. I said, just sit and watch the game. If the scrum half throws the ball to the fly half, he'll throw a pass, and then they'll go into contact. I said, if the scrum half throws the ball to somebody other than the fly half, he'll go into contact. And I said, you just watch it. Just keep watching it. I said, oh, one pass, two pass. One pass, contact. One pass, two pass, contact. One pass, two pass, contact. One pass, contact. I said, that's exactly what happens the entirety of the game. And when they throw the third pass, generally it makes a mistake. This weekend was a little bit of an anomaly. 
Well, it wasn't quite that way, at least at least for the Australians early on. Then they started butchering the game up, and uh, then the South Africans decided to to uh, try to close the game out and couldn't. Well, well um, that's, that's that's the issue, Bruce, because you, you brought this up to me uh, earlier this week, and then I I watched part. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched part of this weekend's game, and and it and it completely uh, throws it into uh, you know, complete contradiction because. This entire game was about players other than the scrum half and the fly half playing support rugby and, and passing the ball off. I, I think that you know some of the stuff I've seen in the press talks about how, how excited they were about the quality of the game and, and, and things along those lines. I, I don't think that necessarily means it's a rarity, but it's a, you know, it, was good, it was good to see. And the thing is, you need, I think uh, Juro's point is you need to have guys who have those skills. And if you, if you shrug and say... Yeah, you know, there's no point in having that skill. Then you're never going to use it. Oh, not, I'm not saying that there's no point in having the skill. I'm just saying that to to sit and act like this game is actually something that's in, incredible and and is this this very watchable event compared to what we saw in the 1990s is absurd. In the 1990s, they actually played rugby, hit the ball, hit the lines hard. They they played. It was entertaining. Early 2000s, same thing. And then it just has become an an absolute bastardization of rugby league. Yeah, now the Boom. reason that it was played One like that is they allowed... Just a second, mate. The reason it was played like that was because bridging was allowed and... And the, because bridging was allowed, it was played like rugby league. So you could recycle the ball quickly and hit the ball like you're talking about. Contestability was brought back into the game around 2001. And the IOB drove that. I remember producing a video for Rod McQueen to try and fight against some of that contestability that the IOB wanted back into the game. And they weren't happy with the, the games that the All Blacks and, and Australia were playing with. So that was a critical change in the way the game was played. In, and they wanted more contestability. And since '01, in the last eight, nine years, you've seen the game sort of try and find its feet. At the moment, it's heavily in favour of attacking a possession-based game. But that'll change again. Well, there, there, there were some uh, problems with the game back. I remember in '99 and '99 World Cup, there was an awful lot of talk about the, the game being very much kind of like rugby league. And, and there was an awful lot of uh, influence by the rugby league attack coaches at the time. And and it really was, um, you, you didn't you didn't see that that flowing nature of it that you saw sort of ninety five ninety six ninety seven, um, but then then it broke away from it again. But but uh, but I think in ninety nine and also around now, a lot of the times when you see a lot of point scoring, when you see a lot of offense in high level rugby, it's usually based on the kick, and. Uh, you know that's nice to see, but I think people want to see a varied game, and I'm not quite sure if if tinkering with the rules every single time they want to change something is going to is going to fix that. I mean, the the thing is, uh, the common comment between rugby league and and uh, rugby union is that the players who play the game in rugby think that there's more flow, but people who watch rugby league where it's popular, say in England and Australia is that uh, they think it flows more because even though there's a tackle and play the ball, it's over very quickly and you keep playing what's in effect touch, touch football. Now, uh, that, that is all in the eye of the uh, beholder. But around 99, it was like rugby league because you had that quick recycle of the ball 
and uh, pretty much uh, once you had it, there was no getting it off you. Well, that, that, well, actually, if you if you look at and and you did a video, so you you would know exactly what I'm talking about. At that time, nobody contested rucks. They just didn't even go in. They didn't do anything. And then even in the 2000, 2001, and then it started to change where players would go in and start contesting rucks. That just didn't happen, Bronk. And, you, and, and, and it was just hit, tackle, fan, hit, tackle, fan, hit, tackle. I mean, the Crusaders and, and the Brumbies were very, very comfortable playing 16, 17 phases of defense. Yeah, because they blocked. There was no opportunity to even contest the ball. The IRB stepped in to make sure that changed. There was a definite but, change. But, but Bronk, they, Bronk they, didn't, they, didn't even, they didn't even have to be tough at the breakdown area. No, you, Nobody you, did, had to you be just tough had to bridge. You just had, you just had, even if you bridged or not, you didn't even have to be tough. It, they, nobody even attempted to try. And then when people started to attempt to try, then they even start. Then they started to it worry about just, what a yeah. bridge actually was. But there was, there was a uh, a push from the north to make the change. It wasn't as if coaches made the change on on a whim. It was a, a concerted effort to reintroduce the contestability at the breakdown. So well, I mean, you have to have. I mean, and the, 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 and 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 there, and you know, that's that's what I'm talking about is. That's what lies the problem is when there is no contestability at the breakdown, when there's nothing going on. And, and, and rugby's starting to find its feet now and, and, and it's starting to find out what the exact, what the best way to go is. But when there's no contestability at the breakdown, the game's boring. And you can see older players will tell you they don't even want to watch. All right, I'm going to stop you right there. Now, why is it boring? Because some other people will say, well, geez, there's continuity in possession, and we're seeing people passing the rugby ball. So from their point of view, they think it looks good. From your point of view, without a contested uh, ruck, uh, it's not a good game, but then it could turn into crap because we've got this fight over the ball. Oh, Bronk, what I'm saying is nobody's, nobody's passing the ball. That, like, that is, that's the biggest scam in rugby, is that people actually think that you've got to teach people... How to pass the ball. This is the way you run the ball, pass the ball, to catch the ball. That's complete nonsense. What you, you really have to, to teach, teach people to do, you do. What you really have to teach people to do is scrum, line, ruck, tackle, and restart. That's <laughs> well, what how do you get between people. those? Right? If you got two dudes, all you need is two dudes to pass the ball. That's it. <laughs> two dudes pass it, three dudes kick it, and everybody else is just a physical animal. And I... And, and 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 I'm and I maybe, you know, people can you know you can say what you want, but that's that's the, that's the unfortunate fact of the matter, and 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 we can, and we can you know you could dispute that or oh, certainly I will. What do you think, Alex? And, well, you know, I I don't I don't fully agree with that, uh, Bruce. You know, I I I think that if you if you create a team that's centered around two guys who can who pass the ball and who even if they're capable of passing the everyone else is capable of passing the ball, they don't really and they go along with the idea that you're not going to pass the ball. You're going to shut down your options because it, it just because somebody passes the ball twice, well, he's, he, that, those two are going to be crucial crucial times and you I, I mean I, I was sitting there thinking about football because you start thinking about um, 
you, you talk about guys who only, you know, only one or two people do the passing, only one or two take on a certain skill role, then you think about football. But even in football, every player has something special that they can do. Maybe, maybe they just do it once or twice a game. You know, you could say, you know, res- wide receivers don't run with the ball after they catch it for the most part, except one or two people. But South you could have a guy. Let him finish. Let him finish. You could have a guy who does that just once in a game or once every three games. But the thing is, because he's been working at it and because he's been developing that skill, that's an important time for him to do that. And just like you have a wing who suddenly comes up with this inside pass at the crucial moment or the, you know, the, the stuff we saw on this weekend where, where we actually saw the backs and the forwards linking up with passes. Hey, look, I'm not saying that whether or not that pass comes off or whether or not it's, it's great. I'm just saying that when you're, when you're practicing rugby, it, say in this game, South Africa scored 39 points and Hogard threw 92 passes, Stain threw 18. There were one, two, three. There were four offloads in the entire game for South Africa. Davilias and Faree as centers threw a total of four passes together. Peterson, Habana, and Stain at fullback threw a total of three passes together. Berger threw seven passes, but those were based on him kicking the ball to him. And, and that's what happened. So we could sit and we could talk about, you know, what you want to have happen or what you think is the best thing to happen. But I'm just telling you actually what happened. And the Australians so, so what, were actually so very what, gifted threw nine passes between them. And the halfback, Genia threw 38, Burgess threw 13, Cooper threw 24 passes. Giddo's effectively a fly half. He threw five. And he so probably what? did most of them at fly half. And O'Connor threw him off at kicks, too, because South Africa kicks a lot. And I'm just saying that people don't pass the ball. So you want to sit and you say, I'm saying if you teach a team how to ruck, how to go into contact, how to catch their restarts, how to kick their restarts, how to win their scrums, how to win their lineouts, and then you have two guys who are really deft passing the ball, and the other guys are really good in contact. That probably a pretty good way to learn how to win and defend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not. Well, I'm not being. I'm not being. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying that nobody else passes the ball. Well, they do. No, pass you, the but, ball. but you just you just gave us a bunch of statistics, Bruce, that show that a bunch of people do pass the ball. The fact that they don't pass it thirty times a game, they pass four or five. The Australians threw four, four or five times a game, then four or five times a game is when they pass it. That seems to me a lot, quite a lot. Players need to know that, hold on, this thing called a rugby ball, I can actually throw it. And I, I just look at Victor Matfield, who delivered a fantastic ball to uh, lead to one of the most amazing tries I've ever seen from a two-metre lock, uh, where he ran past an Australian pillar, Nathan Sharp, who was uh, off with the fairies. But, you know, he was called upon to pass the ball. It's just like the emergency bay. You might not use it all the time, but you've got to have it there when you need it. Pronk, I'm not saying you don't have to have it there. What I'm saying is that if you have a choice between having a guy who can win his lineouts, win his scrums, win his restarts, defend and win contact, the actual skill of passing is irrelevant compared to those skills. Those skills are more important than the passing skill. 
That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If you want to win rugby games, you have to win your scrums. You got to win your lineouts. You got to win your restarts. You got to defend, and you have to be able to be good in contact. That's, That's actually, what you need to be able to do. You sure? The passing is less less important than any of the other stuff. I'm sorry, Bruce. I've seen too many teams have had deficiencies in passing, and it has been the killer blow. Sure, they've been good at set piece. You can't just have that and not be able to pass the ball. I'm not. I'm not you saying. Can't. I'm not Where's saying. the hell? Where the hell does the ball go if you do all that? Because you can't rely on two it, it, blokes. Because you because the defenses come up so fast, you can't play. That third pass is generally always unless the, unless there's a complete overload. That third pass always leads to trouble. I, I mean, I'm not. Be, I'm just being. I'm being pragmatic about this. I'm saying that. If when you start throwing extra passes and you start flinging the ball around, well, it sounds like that, you want to play a boring game of rugby, Bruce. Um, it's not that I want to play a boring game of rugby. What I what I want to say is that th- this is this is like when people say like, oh, nobody's watching rugby games and nobody's watching rugby games. That's for damn sure. I mean, you look; those stadiums are empty. Just won't. Well, I think it. I think that's a function in part of all these games being played in, in a lot of international stadiums the 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 game itself it shouldn't be shouldn't be produced like that you you look at and i i gotta disagree with you again bruce on on that you know, i i i think you're right you know you look at uh curry cup there's an awful lot of empty stands in there especially on the bad teams but uh you look at the footage of the the, the french top 14 and those those stadiums are packed now not all of those stadiums are particularly huge you know uh I've been to a couple of them, and some of them, you know, the, the capacity is twenty-five, thirty thousand, but they're packed because that's that's a realistic expectation for what the product they're giving, which is a professional rugby game in a relatively small market. It's not going to be the NFL, and by the way, the NFL had a lot of empty seats for many, many years. The the, the issue I think you're coming. I, I want to translate this from Bruce to to English, and uh, what what I what I think is partly that if you're coaching a rugby team in the United States and you're spending the majority of your time with your back line set up for a perfect first phase possession and you're going to practice catch and pass and catch and pass and catch and pass, I think Bruce is saying that's a waste of time. And I think that he's probably got a point there that just focusing on, well, we're catching and passing and catching and passing with no, with, with no purpose to it then that really doesn't help you at all. Perhaps you should be working better on your contact skills. Perhaps you should be working better on learning the pattern of the game, how to defend and get back on side, and how to defend and get back on side. And what I would put in there is, if you learn your your contact skills, and if you're coaching your contact skills, that's when you learn your passing. You learn your passing under duress. You don't learn your passing just standing in a lovely little line and running and catch and pass and catch and pass, which is, from what I've seen in rugby practices, about 50% of what people are doing. And yeah, I'd say that is a waste of time. I wouldn't say passing, or the learning the ability to pass is a waste of time. I would say learning just well, this is what the game is about. Catch and pass, catch and pass is pointless. Given the way the game is played, the coaches have to expand themselves to allow teams to express themselves. I didn't mean to upset you, Bronk. I didn't mean to upset you, Alex. I'm just saying that it's just the reality. I mean, you <laughs> look at the game and you say, 
that the scrum half and the fly half throw. Right, right, we've been through it. Seventy-five to eighty percent of the passes. We know that. Hey, you got him started. How did that happen? You got him started again. <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. I'm just I'm just saying that. Bruce, we move on. The, we've covered it. Right, oh, let's move on and let's move on to lessons out of the Tri Nations for the American team. What can first? I'll go to you, Alex, to give Bruce a breather. What can you? take out of the Tri-Nations and what the what should the Eagles be looking at considering the World Cup is being played in New Zealand? Well, I think that uh, what we've seen for the, the national team, for the U.S. national team, is a progression from a pretty methodical way of uh, uh, working with the ball. Uh, just in a, and, and it's been so frustrating because we've been changing coaches all the time and everybody starts from the ground up. But uh, Eddie O'Sullivan started with a pretty simple way of going about it. But it was also pretty methodical. So the chances of being able to get a defense backpedaling and uh, opportunity to get quick ball and move it around and, and get people turned around a little bit confused never seemed, to, never seemed to materialize. Eagles would score a few tries, look good at times, look, look very good at times, but they wouldn't, weren't be able to make that happen. And I, I just think that what what a player, what the team could do by watching some of these games, and I hope they would be able to translate it into the idea of just being able to keep it going. The way, you know, if, if you're juggling, the way that you just try to work it and keep that enough balls in the air as long as possible. And on, on these attack movements from the, uh, in, that I'm, I'm seeing from, from Australia and certainly from New Zealand and South Africa as well is that there's a little bit of a movement going on. The guy gets he goes into contact, but they get that ball out, or he or he finds that um, he finds that connection. And I remember that there was a great pickup from uh, from uh, some uh, from a Springbok. I guess the Springbok captain Smith and uh, you know a, a hooker running right onto the ball and grabbing it with one hand. Those sorts of things come with sort of a confidence with each other. And I just really wish to I'd love to see that come out of this team this USA team, is that they start to engender some confidence within each other. A lot of people say that only comes with time, but I think you sort of have to give yourself permission as well. You've got to, you, you got to, you got to start with the idea that you're going to be like that, that you're going to, you know, you know, it's not good enough to go 15 meters. It's, he's going to go 15 meters and we're going to link up and we're going to keep going and we're going to play with each other a little bit. Bronk, from my perspective, the thing that, that the Tri-Nations is showing us is that even the finest defenses on earth cannot deal with a steady diet of quick ball. If you can get quick ball moving forward then and, and you can reset yourself to attack again, that even the best defenses on earth can't cope with it. So what we need to do is try to – what we need to do is try to find a way that we can get quick ball – moving forward and and getting reset prior to the ball coming out so it's a it's a real fitness and hustle situation and then we need to figure out a way to get we have a very talented back three in um in Nguenya and and Swearin and Wiles that we need to figure out a way to get that back three involved in the offense so we need we need to figure out a way to do that, and then on top of that, we need to to have a defense that is a slightly less robotic, meaning that it's it's it can't be as much of a thinking defense. It has to be a thinking defense, 
but it also has to be a reactionary defense that takes that takes advantage of mistakes and takes advantage of um, of mismatches. So, and Mike and I have spoken about that. We we talked about that with the AC that we have a very thinking defense, but but we don't always take advantage of coming up fast when we should, or coming up hard when we should, or or taking advantage of drop balls or things like that. So we, it's kind of got to be a morph. And we've spoken to Les about this a bit, Les Kiss from Ireland. And we've said, like, you know, how could we get ourselves to be a more aggressive defense without leaving ourselves outflanked on the inside or outside? So being a team defense that plays a bit more aggressively. So, And I think that those are the things – that we're learning from the Tri-Nations. And one of the other things that we're learning from the Tri-Nations is that everybody's been talking about the high tackle, not, not the high tackle in terms of the illegal high tackle, but tackling up around the ball to prevent the offload. But what the All Blacks are doing is they're smashing people low, driving through, and having the second guy get onto the ball. And, and you could see that they're very aggressive about coming low. And I think that that's another thing that we can do is – is really start to hit people low and then get that second guy on top of the ball. And, and in taking what I said earlier, is that if the ball doesn't go to 10, chances are the guy getting it is going to run it. So you could blitz onto him, hit him low, and get on top of him and, and tie up the ball. And if the ball goes to 10, it's only going to go one or two passes from there. Really smash into that guy, get, get him low, knock him in the next week, and get yourself onto the ball. That's just, those are the things that I would take away from the Tri-Nations. But the speed of play, the fitness, and the belief in each other is tremendous. And it's been, it's, it's been some of the most in, intoxicating things in the world to watch. I've loved it. I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I've really loved watching these games. Uh, yeah, just disappointed in some of the defense, though. Um, like Quade Cooper was basically a turnstile for the Wallabies, and, and South Africa managed to attack through that channel and um, they've really got to do some work there and I know that many attacking fly halves have had issues before but man he's really struggling so I mean a team like the Americans can be smart and, and look at those those weaknesses particularly with a spot defender like that but I think the point you made Bruce about your back three is really important because on counter attack I really think the American back three could be a, a lethal and and quite a famous uh, trio come World Cup. Well, I think that uh, you guys, you got no, you guys both make a good point on the back three. And I think one of the the, the crucial aspects is how does everybody else react to them? And uh, you know, we, we did a little thing in Rugby Magazine, uh, quick plug there on on uh, the try that uh, Scotty Lavala scored against France A, which all came from a counterattack off a kick. And it was all about everybody doing their job outside of Nguenya and Wiles, and, and actually Nessie Malifa got involved in that one. Um, and it was, you know, Scott Lavallo was talking about the fact that he just had to assign himself a lane and get back and be involved and, and, and participate in that thing. Because the worst thing in the world for us is to see, okay, oh, they've, they've, just, they've just kicked a swearing. Great, now we're going to see something. He goes into contact. He's isolated. There's nobody there to help him. And suddenly from what we think is going to be a, uh, an attacking opportunity for um, uh, America's talent. Uh, instead, it's going to be uh, you know, holding on penalty and everyone's backed up again. So it's, it's, 
it's those back three or the you know the the guys we're really excited about and it's 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 also and i i think the the term you used bruce was a belief in each other right and and if i put on my my coach's hat for a, a bit you know because i i i coached kids for all this time so so i'm very touchy-feely about the thing about you know trust in each other and belief in each other and you gotta have love for your team and things like that but i think it matters i think it matters in terms of how hard are you willing to work to get your butt back there to win that ruck when you're doing the counter and keep that thing moving uh, my whole world is about teaching guys how to love each other and how to you know, my, I'm like a, I'm like a half of a, I'm like a half a preacher at practice. I, th- th- this whole thing about, like I said, I I think that actually the whole rugby thing is that part is that part's easy. I think that the, uh, I think that when it comes down to being a team that you got to really learn how to play with each other and and you got to learn how to how to be part of a group and 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 Woody Hayes said it best you win with people you're not coaching rugby rugby the rugby is irrelevant you're coaching people like you're coaching people right. and and that's the way i look at it and that's and 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 rugby is not a complicated game it's actually a simple game people are complicated and and the better you are working with them the more success that you're going to have anybody can draw x's and o's anybody can come up with patterns anybody can talk about counterattack anybody can coach scrums anybody can coach lineouts you well, got to get does, people to do does, it for you does that mean then that that really the the idea of looking for more and more players or different players for the US team for 2011 is maybe the the ship sailed there what what O'Sullivan should do is say these are the guys I've got I'm going to work with these guys as hard as I can and and make them believe in each other and just make this team the best it can be and not worry too so much about looking for anybody else well what O'Sullivan has to do is he has to decide who are his players who's the best people and go with it now I don't know if he knows who they all are, but you're not going to fi- even even say the players we have at the New York Athletic Club who just went they they've been playing it this one up without Caravelli, and they had a an, an intense sevens contact area passing tackle session with the national team sevens coach. Whether or not Miles Craigwell, James Aldridge, and Deshaun are going to be able to make a splash in 15s, I, my, my feeling is probably not. N- not this year. They, they, can make, they will make a splash, but not this year. And, and I think that there's certain things like sevens is pretty cool in that it's an easier game. It's an easier game to play. You don't have to know. You don't have to be able to do scrums and lineouts, really. You don't have to really be able to do heavy duty rucking and mauling. The defense is pretty standard, and and you could play and get good at it a lot quicker than you can get good at 15s. And there's just far fewer things involved, and, and speed and athleticism is a big part of it. 
you could be a tremendous yeah, rugby right. player and not have the speed and just not be good enough in sevens. And yeah, you, just, you, it, you're, you're right. It used to be in sevens that you could be a really good rugby player and get away with playing international sevens because you were a good rugby player. It doesn't quite work that way now. But you're you're right. You you can you can you can coach up someone like Miles just as they did with uh, with Leonard Peters and and Tommy Saunders to play at the international level and be effective. And, and I don't and, think and you that, can do that. And that's going to happen. And and those guys are good players. And, and do I think that O'Sullivan's going to find anyone new? Yeah, maybe you guy or two. But I, I think he's going to find them within the rugby community. He's not going to find them within the outside outside world. I definitely don't think he's going to find a crossover athlete that's going to be able to to work in the World Cup unless what? you know somebody's so much better. And I, I just don't see it. Is he gonna Is he gonna find somebody new? I mean, who's really who's really an impact? You know, look at uh, you know a, a year before the the World Cup uh, back in two thousand three, uh, Tom Billups shows up with Rion Van Zyl, who has a huge impact for two thousand three. But we hadn't seen him at all before then. I, mean, I guess we knew about him. But is he going to is he going to come up with somebody like that? I, I don't think so. I think he's oh, going to come up those, with some... those players. Those players have all been like when Tom found him. I mean, Tom found him. He was he's also he was a rugby player. That was that was a well, sure, that was a different sure. situation. And then he, he was a known quantity. So it, it, it and and now that. You know, between Scott Johnson and O'Sullivan, they've kind of found all the people—not all of them, but a lot of the people overseas—who are eligible for the United States. Some are good enough, some aren't. And that's—I think that's it. I think he's kind of got his team, and yeah. he's just—you well, know—it's just going to be a matter. Why worry of, about too? You're, you're not going to change that team that much. You're going to go with those guys. I don't think where it's not like we're going to come up with a fullback who's going to replace Chris Wilde. The only issue is if Chris Wilds gets injured, knock on wood. Well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about that. Bronk, <laughs> comes back into this fold. United States is not going to win the World Cup. Um, and since we're not going to win the World Cup, if you take a look at it and say, is it better for us to plan everything, go to the World Cup, and understand that we're you know, one or two injuries away from a complete disaster <laughs> – or do we say, screw it, try to get scalps along the way. Try to, like, play this team, grab a scalp. Play, like, Scotland, get a scalp. Play Italy, get a scalp. You know, get invited to Australia. All right, you get smashed twice, who cares? But you got invited, you got to play Australia. Go to, go to South Africa, get invited to South Africa. Go down, you know, kind of take your lumps like the first game of the season for USC or for University of Alabama in football. Take your lumps and go... And every, you know, go and kind of do the Argentina thing and get a scalp somewhere and not worry so much about the World Cup and just kind of play everything like it really matters and play your best guys all the time and do what you're going to do. And if the and 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 if everything kind of the stars align for the World Cup and everybody's healthy, you might get two wins. You might even get three. But if you get two wins, you get an automatic qualification. That automatic qualification Gives you invites all over the world. I love this stuff. And I'm just saying, that, like, is it best to, to plan everything for the World Cup and then say, oh, my God, Todd Clever sprained his ankle. He can't play. Mm. Oh, my God. Mike Petrie wrecked his knee. He can't play. 
we're screwed. We're dead. Do we play for a World Cup or do we play for everything else and hope the World Cup works out? I say play for everything else and hope the World Cup works out. Well, I'm a big believer in that. I think every time you run out, you should be playing to win and build your reputation. This is not an argument that the U.S. is going through alone. Australia is having the same issue because Robbie Deans' record is terrible, but there's a there's a there's unbelievable belief in him, uh, blind faith, if you will, that he will be able to pull an upset at the World Cup. So they're putting all their eggs in one basket, the World Cup, and don't worry about all the Blitterslow Cups and Tri-Nations that get thrown out the window in the meantime. The only problem with that is people aren't inspired uh, to follow the, the game week in, week out. So you have a drop-off. Then there's no guarantee. Australia has the same sort of injuries you're talking about with America, and then it's the same problem. Stephen Larkham, injured in the quarter-final, before the quarter-final of the World Cup in 07, well, Australia didn't advance past England, and he was a big reason why. We had all our eggs in one Stephen Larkham basket. So the issue is the same. And the way I'm going to answer your question is, you've got to win every week you run out. That's how you build your team culture. That's how you build your mateship. That's how you build your pattern of play. And that's how you build that nature where you don't second-guess what your partner out there is doing in the field. Then you get to the World Cup, and it's not something new. You know what to do. What you do for the World Cup, though, is tactically you save some little bits of gold for the World Cup that you've been analysing the opposition on, and you only pull it out then because that's what you need your big plays for. So that's what I think. Bronk, I got to say, I'm, I'm really happy you said it because I do agree with that. And I actually think that there, from a tactical standpoint, there's a couple things strategically that you can pull out here and there. But at the end of the day, the best rugby, it, all, the, the most amazing rugby is the simple execution of the basics. True, if you true. execute true. the can basics. Just, yeah, can I just chuck, I'll throw one thing in there. Um, yeah. Tactically, we and I was part of management of the Australian team in 03, and uh, I was in the team meeting before we went out to play, face the All Blacks, and it was a famous victory, Sterling Mortlock scoring that great try uh, against New Zealand, who were runaway favourites for the title, aside from England. And the Australian plan was to play two-pass two rugby at all costs, and it was something that was hard to do. Because the instinct in your own 22 is to get the ball on the boot and kick it out. But Stephen Larkham, at the inside centre, everyone played two-pass rugby. And, the, and it shocked the Kiwis because no one was expecting it. So that was a tactical play for that game that paid off. And to this day, I think it's the best tactical move by a coach in the history of rugby. Well, you can't... You have to... Pl- Eddie, Eddie Jones played a lot of two-pass rugby with the Brumbies and what and and no no and, this is this is was this was complete two-pass rugby. No one deviated from the plan. It was completely different to what we've been playing, and that included no clearing kicks from your twenty-two. It always no, had I'm, to go I'm not, two I'm passes. Not say, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. So, but what I'm Eddie saying Jones is played, tactically, but you can't just go. You can't just go in and do that one time. So they will have had to have tried that. Somewhere along the line, you don't just go and say. No, they did. They did. I'm they, they, playing they did. the All Blacks. <laughs> they did. That's the thing. So they, they. That's why it was hard to do. So I'm saying that the American team uh, 
build up towards the World Cup, but also look at the opposition. There are holes everywhere in Australia's defence. There are holes everywhere in the South African defence. And if you're smart, you, you'll, you'll break through those if you're playing South Africa in, in that case. But you, you've got to just have something up your sleeve when you come to the Cup. And I think what America can do is inspire other countries because in the 03 World Cup, Japan was the darling of, uh, of the World Cup because of the way they were playing the game. So you very quickly get people on your bandwagon. You will get people who say, who's your second team? Well, it's the Americans. And that's what I think you should do. I, th- I know. I think you, you, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of going and, and approaching all of these games as if they're must-win games. And it, it's something that, uh, to, to bring up the, the Women's World Cup, it's something I wrote about in terms of that. There are just too many games that we see where they're saying, well, we're just developing players. Oh, we're just developing combinations. Oh, we're just doing it. You know, and, and you know, we're going to do it in the ARC. They're not going down there expecting to win any games in the America's Rugby Championship. They're developing teams for the tour. But I will say, in Eddie O'Sullivan's defense, he's going on that November tour expecting to win games. He's going there saying, you are my guys, and I need you to win here. And it's about, you know, it's refreshing, because I don't think we've really felt like we've, we've heard it outside of a World Cup for about for, for three and a half years. Well, I, I got I to gotta say that, I, I think that um, when, when we're going into the World Cup, we have, we have to go and say, that's the way I've always thought about it, we have to beat Italy. It, the chances of beating Ireland and Australia, in my mind, I think you just play them like, I don't, I don't know if you remember the 87 World Cup when Fiji was playing. I wasn't and they were born just awesome. The 87 World Cup, you weren't born. <laughs> but... You know, you, when Fiji was playing, they, they were just playing. It was like Fiji-France was one of the greatest games. And then, and then in, that, in that same World Cup, Australia-France was a tremendous game when, uh, when, when, when they had Lajeske and then, and then Serge Blanco scored the try and, and really ripped the hearts out of Australia. And, and Australia may have possibly beaten New Zealand in the, in the World Cup final because they, they, New Zealand was not the favorite. That was still the... And I think that that's why New Zealand won the World Cup was it was the only time since eight, 87 onward New Zealand has been the favorite going into the World Cup. And, and, and you look and, and you say that I, I, I want to I wanna believe that America has to have a plan to stuff Italy and then play Ireland and Australia tough. Just play them wild. Play them to, even if you play them in a track meet. You can lose seventy-five to twenty-five, but beat the just hell get out into a track meet with them. Yeah, at be, least be, make be. it entertaining. To, yeah. to play a twenty-eight to ten boring ass game is horrible. Just, like, I understand you. You know, you obviously you don't want to give up points, but look, understand. Hey, they're pros. Let's go. Let's fling it around. Let's play. Let's smash. Even it said like Bronx says. Two-pass play, two-pass penetrate, two-pass penetrate, two-pass penetrate. You could play two-pass penetrate if you're set up every time, and you'd be, you'd be surprised at how successful you could be. I actually think that's good rugby. I, I know that it sounds crazy. I actually think it's a pretty good way to play rugby. As, as, 
as as boring as I think it is, it is, it, it is a good way to play. I mean, that's the way I coach. I coach two pass rugby, so I, I you know I'm not I'm not a uh, it's not that I'm against it. I just think it's boring to watch. I think that you need a lot of beer on the sideline to watch it. Well, you never know how it's going to open up after your after the next phase and the next phase. How, it depends well, how that's they the other thing, Bronk. That's the other thing, Bronk. The offload. If you can get past that whole mess of defense, then offload. Well, get then into your you're back good. and your back three is motoring. Then uh, well, hey, that's look the, out. You know, Bronk. I mean, I mean that, and and that's where that's where I'm like use of the blind side. Like what Ewan McKenzie does with the uh, with the Reds, he plays inside the fi- between the five and the fifteen, back outside the fifteen, between the five and the fifteen, back outside the fifteen. Up, they came up. We'll kick over the head. Well, you know, and then uh oh, they're clamping in. Spin, spin it wide. So he plays that that silly South African pattern from 1995 with Van de Vesthuizen played, but he has Wilkenia, who's essentially Van de Vesthuizen. And, and he could do these things, and he's really an astute guy to realize what he's doing, being with a very young team playing what is a very safe pattern, and then the defense clamps in on him, and he allows his young players to express themselves. So he does these things that allow his young players to express themselves, and that's just a simple version. He does other things. That's just... That's a simple version when when they're when when they're in in a little bit of trouble. But then they do other things that that are more that are more complicated. But that's just a simple version of he can allow his players to express themselves and not put them under pressure to make mistakes. And that those are the things that America needs to do. They need to play as if they they are a young and experienced team, even if they're older or inexperienced compared. So you have to play almost very similar to the Reds and, and the Reds of they influenced the New York athletic club. When I was watching the Reds, I was like, you know what, what the hell are we kicking for? Let's just run. Let's just run and see what happens. We could always run, clear a ruck and get reset. We could reset ourselves quick. And that, and that's so watching them play gave us essentially the nuts to play an aggressive game plan. And and I think that that's, that's what America needs to do. We need to get the nuts to play an aggressive game plan, but we need to actually decide who are the guys we're going to play with. Who are the 22 guys? And just go with it. Say, all right, these guys are going when, when they go, and that's the way it is. Mm. It's, a very, it's a very exciting time. Well, I think the opportunity Ooh. for the Eagles to go down under and and make a statement is 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 tremendous, and uh, I think a lot what of people. What would be a statement I, I to a, you, Bronk? I, I think playing for eighty minutes is is the absolute start of it. Because what's the difference between Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa? New Zealand play eighty minutes, so they're in your face for eighty minutes. There's no let up. Australia will play well for forty minutes, then drop their bundle. Same with South Africa, but if you play, if the Eagles play for eighty minutes, and start exciting. The, exciting people in terms of um, their challenge they put up towards the superpowers I reckon they'll start capturing some hearts and that's a good thing because if people start talking about America in a positive light in that way the IRB takes notice there's all sorts of flow on effects 
and uh, you know I think they can capture uh, many people's as, uh, as I said their um, slot there for the second team I don't know Alex what do you think well Joe in 2003 I, I was lucky enough to spend a little time at the World Cup there and, and I thought that um, well the people of Australia were just just really really nice and uh, and and welcoming to the USA team and the Americans in general, uh, and I think the, one of the key aspects was that first game that they played against Fiji, which they lost. They lost by a point, but they scored two tries and Fiji only scored one, and uh, they scored that one run, one uh, one try because of a missed tackle by a guy. I won't mention who he is, but the the point was that that at the time, almost every game had been a blowout in the World Cup until the game showed up. And that game was sort of the game that woke people up to the World Cup and said, hey, you know, even these games that I'm not supposed to be interested in, they can be really fun. And after that, there were a whole bunch of other really exciting games to, to watch. But I kind of looked at that game as not the game that saved the World Cup, but it, it was the game that sort of woke everybody up to the World Cup. And, and, and if they put in a performance like that, and where people say, what, you know, okay, they played really hard against Italy. They didn't beat them. We'd love to see them beat Italy, but they didn't beat Italy. We know that Italians, they have the fully professional league and all that stuff. But boy, that was a great game to watch. Wasn't that fun? Mm-hmm. And if they scare if they scare Australia the way they did, not really scare, but they, they put Australia on their back heels back in 99 when they were the only team to score a try against the Wallabies. And very few people really remember that the final score of that game was 55-19. What they remember was... The first half when it was seventeen ten and everyone's going, Wow, these Americans, they they kinda they they're, they're not that bad. And the fact and that I, they I, and the fact that they breached the line. I mean that's yeah, that's the one that point. Was huge. Who 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 breached Australia's line? It was America. That that was and it was Jean Grobler from uh, Gentleman of Aspen and later Denver, or the other way around. But uh <laughs> uh so Jean, little shout out to him. But uh th- that sort of thing is big and, and you know, back in the States we want to beat Russia, absolutely. We want. We just want to win that game. I don't think anybody cares if it's the most boring game in the world. We beat Russia. It's great. But and everybody else, I think you're right. We need to play 80 minutes. But I think also that first 20, we have to. We have to make a statement. We have to make a statement that we're really fun to watch. That we we rattle teeth, and that we're gonna we're, we're going to play in an entertaining and and you know for the the American images very physical way. And I think that's what they've got to do. Uh, you know what I'm gonna get in. Um, they they need to beat Russia. There's, they absolutely need to beat Russia. And and secondly, in in order to play well in any of those other games, they need to do three things, four things, five things. They need to scrum well, which means they need to settle their front row. They need to line well, which means they need to settle their front row. They need to do restarts well, which means they, means they need to settle their front row, and they need to dominate contact. And you can dominate contact when you're on, fr- on the front foot, which means you need to settle your front row so you have good scrums, lineouts, and restarts. So in order for the U.S. to do anything, they need to settle their front row. The, the, the entirety of, of their ability is going to be on what they do to settle their front row. And then they need to look at their halfback combination. And their second row, they have some they have some talented people. They have talented people in the back row. They need to settle the halfback combination 
and they need to settle their centers, but they have talent in there, and they have talent in the halfbacks, and their back three is quite good. So like, if they can get their forwards settled where their forwards can give them ball and then they get to play a lot together so that they can compete against the Italians, the fact of the matter is we're not going to beat Italy and we're not going to beat Ireland. I mean, sorry, we're not going to beat Ireland and we're not going to beat Australia. But we have to give them a game. And as you said, the first 20 minutes are critical. But you could, you could bother Australia by being a good scrummaging team. So you could bother teams by being really good at certain parts of the game. Australia and Ireland particularly are very poor scrummaging teams. So you could bug them by being good. And Australia and Ireland, actually, it, it's going to hurt them going forward in the World Cup because they'll have, they'll have gone through to the knockout rounds playing against each other where they're not very good scrummaging teams. The Italians are a good scrummaging team, and that's, that's going to help Australia and Ireland because they'll both beat Italy, but they'll, both, they'll probably struggle a little bit against the Italians in the front row and, and in the scrum. So I, I would say that it, it would be great if the Americans could get their act together, settle down, and if they can neutralize the Italian pack and really try, really get to the point where they're excellent at those other things, I think that they can give them a game. I'm not saying they can win, but I'm saying they can give them a game. And and as you said, like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And in the 2003 World Cup, when when the U.S. lost to Fiji by a point, Hercus missed a kick on the end, but Thouthou, the, the the tremendous winger, he had been thrown out of he had been thrown out of the uh, out of the game, and he was suspended for that game. So it was actually an opportunity for America to take to take charge, and they did. And then Herkus missed the kick. But uh, you know that's that's just that's just how it goes. But had had Thoutau played, then it might not have gone the way that they wanted they were lucky that that happened and but that happens in any world cup well bruce that was sort of spoken like a true prop there i i, I don't i don't know about that in terms of it's just about the front row i i, I agree with you a lot to do with it there but the you know you mentioned one position that needs to be straightened out right quick and that's the centers because you they'll they'll they win the ball and if they don't do anything in the centers then uh then they got problems, and I I still don't think they've settled on, and I'm not happy with the guys at inside center, and I think that they just need to straighten it out. Very well, good. it's a it's a matter of, it's a, it's it's not a matter of being a prop or fine, you know. I, I I'm just saying that settle on your front row. You, you, the team has to be settled on. Like you got to settle on your team and say who it is. I don't know who those guys are. I'm not claiming to know i'm not claiming that anyone else knows i'm just saying that that those are the question marks and those are question marks that need to be answered pretty close to immediately and and in this in the center situation that needs to be answered as well bronk i don't know what you're thinking you're probably saying will you shut the hell up about america no, it's all about America, so it's not a problem. But I will say we had an ordinary front row in '99 and still won the World Cup. 
So there you go, Bruce. All right. But he didn't, he didn't no, wait, no, wait, no, he didn't no, 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 I'm not going to say There's no chance to reply because we have to wind it up. All right. <laughs> that is uh, Rugger Matrix America here at home on rugbymag.com. Alex Goff, thanks for joining us today. A fiery early. Thank you. But that's what we like to see. <laughs> and Bruce, thanks, man. You know I love you. Yeah. No, and, and, and hopefully we get some of the Women's Rugby World Cup girls coming on. They, we, had, uh, we had tried to get them on after the Women's World Cup, and they were unable to come on. They just they literally just landed yeah, today. plenty of time next and, week. Let's try and do and that next then, week. And then, people, please listen to the last show. And if you have comments and, and things, we could really dig into USA Rugby and the board and all that kind of nonsense. Get into it. All right. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. That has been Rugger Matrix America, episode 31. Let's hope that uh, we've set the plan for World Cup success for the States next year. Speak to you next week.